in China podcast, where a British and an American girl satisfy all your curiosity and questions about what it's like to live in China today. And now your hosts, Holly and Nora. Hello, listeners. Hello. We are back with another episode of the Two White Chicks in China. We are. This is episode one hundred and two. Awesome. Uh, thanks for the silence, there, Nora. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> just nothing to say about that. Uh, actually, uh, I'm I, just excited to hear what you have to say next. That's all. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I actually just need to get this out there. So, our one hundred and one episode was recorded yonks ago, and.、Um, So I said that Shanghaiist had unfortunately like finished,、uh, but actually that's not true. About a week later, they came back from the dead. Yay! Yes.、Um, I don't know what had gone on. Some politics stuff, and I'm not going to go into that into it. So we can get our news from Shanghaiist again. Yay! Yay! Okay, so anyway, that's out of the way. <laughs>、um, I w- I just want to say what、well, we want to say. Thank you to everyone who has left us reviews. Like it's really it's not. I mean, it it makes us feel good because it's nice to know that what we're talking about is is interesting to you guys. But also, it does help us in iTunes. It really does. So yeah, you know, we really appreciate the reviews. Or you know, like just leaving us a couple of stars would be nice. You don't even need to leave us like an actual written review. Um, and also,、uh, last episode I mentioned that we we started a Patreon page, which is Patreon.com/slash/TwoWhiteChicks. And、um, at the moment, we're just you know we're just starting out, but、uh, maybe some of you have noticed that we've started a video series. So we you know we felt kind of apprehensive about doing videos, but actually we're kind of enjoying it a bit. So if you guys are enjoying our the podcast and our videos, then we'd like to keep doing that and. You know, any、uh, you know, a pledge on Patreon would really help us with those、Indeed. videos. Help us to improve them. That's、too. it. Yeah, yeah. So, on that note, I would like to thank Crystal and Arthur who've already left us a pledge. Thank you. Thank you. It's really nice. Super nice. Yeah. So,、uh, Nora, do you have a fact for us about China? Yeah, I've been reading about、um, how they train Chinese soldiers, as I think、Ooh. it's really fascinating. Yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, so、um, when they're training them to stand for those long hours,、right. um, in order to keep their chins up, they'll put a pin, like a straight pin, in their collar、oh, with the sharp end、okay. facing their neck, so that if their、wow. head drops, then they get stabbed with the pin. That is insane. Yeah. I could、uh, when you were starting that I was just imagining I don't know why like the whoever's in control of them like a sergeant major or whatever、uh, like with a ruler like going like and <laughs> slapping them underneath like to make sure their chin stays up. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and they also they have other methods too. Like in order to keep all their arms at the same height when they're marching,、mm. the new new soldiers they use like a metal bar so everybody's basically. Cuffed to the metal bar, so everybody's arm is at exactly the same wow length, or I mean height, right? Yeah, so yeah, that they're right, all right, right. they all look uniformed. So it's really interesting because when you see them,、um, especially if you're you know near Tiananmen or、uh, in yeah any government、mm-hmm. event or something, to see the soldiers is really impressive.、Yeah. They do look immaculate, yes, that's and, true,、um, clone like. Very much. It's、so. very、uh, intimidating in a、yeah. way. <laughs> With the they chain them to the bar, but then so what is it like? 
they'll just chain them to the bar so they learn where to put their arm yes. like habitually like they'd just be like oh you know i've i've held it here for so long because it was chained to the bar yes oh wow mm-hmm. wow mm-hmm. that's interesting just to get the precise angle for their arms <laughs> well i'm gonna give you Extreme. something that's completely the opposite to that <laughs> in my news article um this is about a 22 year old a Hong Kongese woman who now regrets getting over 30 plastic surgeries to please her boyfriend. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. Oh, so she's been under the knife more than 30 times. Um, and she's finally realized that she changed her looks for all the wrong reasons. So this, she's now a YouTube star. Uh, she's called Berry. And she had first, her first uh, plastic surgery when she was 17 after walking by a beauty center that was offering discounted... <laughs> student packages for 799 hong kong dollars for three injections i guess it was like botox wow, or something that's so cheap it's very cheap it's like a hundred dollars yeah basically. yeah and um i don't know if we've talked about this in the past i think we have about like plastic surgery and like how cheap it is here and even um people young people are even having plastic surgery in order to get jobs now in china yeah i think we found crazy. some crazy statistic where it was yeah. like I don't know if this is true, but I remember that the number 80% or something like yeah. that of women in the workplace have some kind of plastic surgery, whether it be the double eyelid thing where they get it. Mm. I don't know. They must put like a some kind of a thread or I don't know how they do it, but they basically like artificially make it look like they have two eyelids. This is like a big thing, double eyelid. I didn't even know what this was Me before neither. coming to China, but... Um, a lot of Asian people, it, it appears that their eyelid is just like one flat surface, whereas mm-hmm. we Westerners, the eyelid tends to retract back into, like, around the eye, so it yeah. looks like two versus yeah. one, and they really find that appealing, so they get, like, some kind of a something stuck in there so that it <laughs> looks like two. So I guess that's, like, really, really common. Mm-hmm. You can also get tape. I think we've talked about that, definitely. Mm. You, you can get this, like, thin... It's like double-sided sticky tape. So, like, for maybe a night out or something, if you want to just create the effect, you just, like, tape your eyes or something. Oh, it's, my it's gosh. Really, and really... they also do a lot of those. And I don't know how... Maybe this has become popular in the West, too, but the caps on the eyelashes. So they put, like, basically... Mm. It's like if you imagine getting fake nails, but right. instead it's, like, an extension, an extension of your eyelashes. Of your eyelashes. Yeah, I imagine it's this is like that gone stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, this girl, she was she went into get the the offer and she paid more than 17,000 Hong Kong dollars for what she like she ended up paying that much. I mean, she went in and obviously just wanted other things doing because I get the impression oh. I've never been for plastic surgery, but uh, from what I've seen on TV when people go and they're like, "Oh, you know, I don't like my nose." And then the surgeon will be like, Oh, you're right. Like, let's do this to your nose, but you should also do your ears. Let's pin your ears back and let's do this and this and this. And you go in for one thing and people end up doing, like, everything to themselves. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I can imagine the similar thing happened to this girl. And this is totally legal for a 17-year-old to go in and do it by herself? Apparently so. I mean, it doesn't say anything about it not being okay. So. <laughs> but she said she became completely addicted to plastic surgery. And it became worse when she started to date an older man when she was 21. And he, he would criticize her looks and compare her with other women. Um, she said over wow. the next six months, she changed everything about her face, her forehead, lips, eyelids, nose, uh, leaving her looking like a completely different person. And eventually she borrowed money from her parents to get a boob job. 
But afterwards, the boyfriend claimed that he hadn't asked her to do it. <laughs> and eventually, she broke up with him. And then she started posting YouTube videos talking about her experiences and basically warning other women not to make the same mistakes. So I guess there's a sort of a silver lining, like... She kind of learned. I mean, she and she says, quote, uh, I may have a very fake face, but I have a more true heart than most, quote, unquote. Hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Her boyfriend sounds like a real gem. Yeah. <laughs> there was actually, there was more to this article, but I, you know, we, we do want to try and keep it PG. So uh, if you want to read more about what she said, you can, uh, I will link to this in our episode 102. I think I'm going to go look at that. Mm. There was, there was a couple of lines. There the... were a couple of lines that I thought, I can't, we, we're not, I'm not going to talk about this. Yeah, I'm afraid of seeing her face and all this stuff, though. Does it look good or is it bad? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she looks, she, but I don't know if, it says she looks like completely different, but I wasn't sure if there was a before and after picture because all the pictures just looked, she looks, she's, she is pretty. Okay. But I don't know if it's all plastic. Those botched plastic surgery photos are the material of my dream, my, my nightmares, basically. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're so horrifying. <laughs> yeah, she, no, I mean, what the surgery, ugh, I don't want to promote plastic surgery, but she does, she looks, she looks nice, but I'm sure she looked great before that as well, so. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> Chin chiseling was a funny one that I remember seeing right. in China. Like, they, for some reason, like a really pointy, pointy chin. chin. So they'll yeah. get, like, their chin bone shaved away so that their chin is pointier. How odd is that? Yeah. Didn't we... I think we... I, oh, I found an article, like, a news article about that there was a young lad who'd done it, and he lo- looked like a cartoon character. Uh-huh. Like, his eyes were massive, and his chin was, like, super pointy. He looked weird. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, well... So we have a kind of a special episode for you today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an interview. Yay! Yeah, so um, this is with uh, Nick Lencheski. Hope, hope his name, I said his name right there. <laughs> and and so Nick is going to talk to us about um, his experiences in like a Buddhist retreat, which we, we knew nothing about this, but he got in touch with Nara um, on our Facebook page, right? I think he got me on Twitter. Did but he get you yeah. On Twitter? yeah. Anyway, so so we decided to interview him because this is an area uh, that Nora and I know very little about, but it's uh, it's super interesting. So we hope you enjoy our interview. Here we go. Okay, Nick. So we're going to start off um, with some for you to give us uh, some information about yourself. Um, so, um, where are you from, and can you tell us a little bit about the culture of your hometown? Yes, I am from the United States, the state of Minnesota, which is in the north of the country near Canada, in the middle, and I'm from a small rural town, it's called Buffalo, only about 5,000 people, and it's a largely a farming community, and a lot of people who live there, they are either farmers or they work in the big city, which is about an hour's drive away, and so they'll commute every day, or they work in the, the city itself, um, kind of like my parents growing up. My dad was a lawyer in the town, and my mom's a school teacher in the town. So small, small town, USA. <laughs> cool. I had a feeling you were from um, the Midwest or Minnesota with a last name like that. <laughs> okay. I'm yeah, from Wisconsin, yeah, so we also have quite a few Polish uh, yeah. last names floating around. 
<laughs> so what initially um, brought you to China? Yes, so after I graduated from college, or I should say as I was graduating from college, I wanted to travel abroad, and especially I had already traveled in Europe, and so I wanted to go to Asia, somewhere like Japan or Thailand or China, and the pro the school that I taught with had ties with a, uh, a program that sent teachers to China to teach English, sort of a English, sort of a teacher placement agency you could think of it as, and I got connected with them, and then that they sent me to China to teach English, and so initially it was about traveling. I wanted to travel, and uh, living abroad seemed like the easiest way to um, travel long term um, without spending a lot of money. So that's how I first got to China. Yeah, I, I guess I, we're all kind of in that similar kind of boat. Um, this, this is uh, the next question is something that Nora and I talk about quite a bit. Um, but uh, can you tell us some of the memories from your first days in China and some of sure. your like immediate impressions of China and the people that you met? Yeah. So when I when I first flew in to China, I flew into Hong Kong, and uh, the organization I worked for they were based in Hong Kong, and so it was as you know Hong Kong the environment is very different from mainland China. Even you know somewhere like Shenzhen just across the border is very different. And uh, but anyway, after a week in Hong Kong, I went to China by ferry, and the city I was living in, teaching in, was called Zhongshan, and uh, it's very close to Hong Kong. Um, but yes, when I first arrived, it was about an hour's ride to, or excuse me, half, half an hour's ride to the school where I taught English at, and so I just remember on that first ride, looking out the window and thinking about, wow, I'm, I'm finally here. Uh, I've been dreaming about this for the, the past six months, thinking about, okay, what's it going to be like? You know, am I going to be like hanging out by rice paddies, like drinking tea with my <laughs> like neighbors as they're like farming with, you know, while wearing traditional Chinese uh, clothing and that kind of thing. And then, but when I, that first car ride, looking out the window, I remember thinking, wow, this is you know, not that different from Minnesota. Like it, I mean, it's, it's a, a little, it looked a little more like drab at first was one of the first impressions I had, but there were, you know, like car dealerships all over the place, um, and factories all over. Um, and then once we got more into the city center, seeing the different malls that were there and apartments and more and more traffic. And then we drove directly. I was with three other foreign English teachers. They were actually uh, three of them, or excuse me, two of them were also from Minnesota, where I, I'm from, another from New York. And uh, yeah, that first day we went to a banquet right away and met all of the other different teachers and people that we would be teaching English with, some of the Chinese English teachers and the staff in the foreign affairs department. And we had a, a banquet in China. These, As I would find out, these kinds of banquets were very common. And we used to have one every 
every semester it seemed like there was one with all the teachers. And then after that, we went to the, there was, we dropped our bags off at our new apartments and uh, met up with some students that were uh, called the foreign, foreign affairs service team. And their job was to help the foreign teachers adjust to life in the city that we're living in. And so they brought us to the mall to buy like bedding and all the essentials. And I remember going to the mall uh, thinking about how it seemed like the Chinese seemed like one big family to me or just I, maybe it was something subconscious, but all of the... Uh, the, the the Chinese people, the staff working in the store, and along with the foreign affairs service team, the volunteers that were helping us to find our bedding and whatnot, uh, they all just kind of felt like a big family, I thought. Um, and that, that was really all I can remember from that first day. Um, and then I, I remember one of the foreign affairs uh, service team volunteers telling me his name said, my name's Keen. It's like Ken, but with an extra E added in there. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, yeah, but um, that, that's that's what I can remember from that, that first day. Those were the first immediate impressions. It sounds like you had a really nice like introduction to China. I feel like we were kind of just thrown into the deep end. <laughs> so yeah. it's really nice oh, that yeah. they kind of helped you with those things. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was good. I mean, I hear like kind of horror stories from different foreigners who go to China to work or, you know, they're like stuck in the middle of nowhere not getting paid or things like that. And whereas, yeah, mine was very smooth and it was, yeah, it was very good. It surprises me because, you know, I'm from Wisconsin also similar, I think, landscape to yours in terms of like my, I'm from a small town, blah, blah, blah. And I'm surprised that you said, Oh, it's it's sim it's just mm -hmm. like Minnesota because that's the exact opposite impression <laughs> that I had when landing in China. I was like, "Where am I? What yeah. am I doing?" <laughs> anyway, um, so um, since Holly and I have started the show, which was almost two years ago now, we've mm -hmm. seen quite a few changes happening in China. Um, and I was just curious, what are some of the things that you found that have changed from when you first came to China until now? Sure. So I first came to China in 2007, and I stayed until 2013. And then I actually was gone for a while, but I've been back a few times since 2013. Um, and, yeah, the, the things that I've noticed are that there are a lot more Western convenient or like a lot more Starbucks, um, <laughs> yeah. a lot more, a lot more cars, um, like a lot more just kind of luxury things, a lot more malls. Um, seems like it's kind of more and more materialistic, you could say. Um, and also a lot, yeah, a lot more Western things like Pizza Hut, the different foreign chains like Burger King. Um, maybe it's a weird way to measure, you know, the changes in the, the city, but that's one thing that I've that I've noticed in the, the city where I first lived, Zhongshan, over the last 10 years, I have noticed that there are a lot more chains. Because um, as, as a foreigner living in China, 
it's great to be around all the, uh, you know, learn from the Chinese, experience the Chinese culture, the food, and that kind of thing. But it's also nice to have some food from your home country once in a while. So I'm always on the lookout for different foreign uh, foods, and so yeah, that's uh, that's one thing that I've noticed. And then a lot a lot of apartments being built. It seems like in China you can. A person can walk from one end of the city to another, and then, you know, by the time they get back to the original end of the city a week later, there's there are new things that have opened. And like on the weekend, like weekend, maybe I'd go to like Shenzhen for a few days, and then I'd come back, and then I notice, you know, oh, there's a new sh- like clothing shop on my walk to the convenience store and uh the convenience store i always go to and so yeah they're just constantly new new places opening one one thing that i've heard but i haven't really experienced is wechat um people using wechat to pay for everything um like their bills on their phone when when i was in china i would typically recharge my phone every month by going to uh, like a China mobile outlet and paying some money and they would recharge my phone. But now I hear that people can just use WeChat. Um, or same those with scratch cards. Did you ever like, buy those? Water. Yeah, did you ever buy those scratch cards from the convenience stores? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, like I never did. If you play scratch card, then you scratch off the oh, back yes, and yes, it yes. gives you like oh, a special yeah. code. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, yes. we pay for everything. Now I pay for my rent with WeChat. I pay mm. for actually all my bills, like hot water, gas, all that stuff. Taxis. Is with WeChat. Ca- taxis. Even the little tiny fruit stands where mm-hmm. it's just like one guy who's brought in all of his produce. He's got the little QR code by his stand, yeah. and you can just scan it. doesn't matter if it's too... UN or, yeah. you know, 50, you can just scan it and go. So it's, yeah, it's just crazy how, <laughs> it's so convenient. yeah, how widespread it is. It's, it's crazy. Right. So let's get into the meat of the show. Thanks for this intro and mm. some perspectives on China. But um, today's topic is about Buddhism, which Holly and I, at least I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm not, not very no, familiar not with really. this religion. Um, so okay. how do you start with a... Yeah, so um, could you give us like a brief summary on, on what Buddhism actually is? <laughs> Please? Sure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and as well, I'm, I am no expert, and so I don't want to you know, mislead any, anyone. But um, yeah, I'll share with you my take. And actually in Thailand, I was in Thailand for work recently interviewing a Buddhist monk, and I asked him this exact same question. Uh, a Buddhist monk, and he he told me don't use the interview in anything that I do because it's not uh, not up to par. You know, he 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 does English is not his first language. I think that was more of the reason. But so anyway, I just I don't want to mislead anyone. But Buddhism is an education and a philosophy for effectively living in the world. You know, we all have different painful experiences, emotions, suffering, you know, we we want different things and then we don't get them and then that causes us suffering. We want to, we want something and then we get it and then even then sometimes we're not satisfied and so there are all these things as everyone knows that we have problems in life and we're unhappy a lot of times or lonely and Buddhism has a lot of different 
in my experience, different answers to these problems um, that can can help calm a person down. Some people that I like to listen to and learn from are Pema Chodron. She's uh, an American Tibetan Buddhist. Um, Chongyam Chongpa. These people, they listening to their different talks. I I listen on YouTube a lot, and so that's how that's how I learn. Yeah, Buddhism. There was a man Siddhartha, and I'm not sure exactly where he was living. Was it in? It was in either India or present day Nepal. But he he saw all of the different like sickness, death, old age, suffering, and he 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 was a, a prince from a royal family, and he saw all of these things, and you know he he didn't like what he he saw. Um, and so he wanted to find a way out of suffering, and that led him on a path of uh, spiritual development uh, until one day he reached enlightenment and became the, the Buddha. And, and so that, that, that birthed this religion. And I, I, have, I also, for many years, thought of Buddhism as a religion, but now, having started since working at a, a Buddhist company, uh, I've learned that Buddhism actually, and back when it was started, was is just an education and a, a philosophy. It's um, it's not uh, a religion. It's a, an education. So I don't know if that hopefully that covers a brief summary. Yeah, I, I know more now than I did before. So yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so what was it that initially inspired you to get interested in Buddhism and to go on? Oh. Um, I heard uh, in speaking to you before the inter this interview, we were you mentioned that you had gone to some kind of a retreat, like a six day retreat. What yeah. what inspired you to do that, and what kind of sparked this whole interest in? Inter yeah, um, I guess ever since I was a kid, I was interested in religions. I was raised Catholic. And I, I still consider myself Catholic, but I didn't, a lot of the, when I went to church, it didn't, it just didn't resonate with me. It just, I couldn't get into it, but I, I didn't discount it. I thought that, you know, there has to be something, some higher power. And so then in, in college, I read a book about Buddhism and it really made an impression on me. It's called the Dhammapada and it was a, it's a collection of different sayings and teachings from the Buddha and I, I, I thought that that really that was it was very clear how our, uh, our our thoughts give rise to you know words and actions and that gives rise to our character and, and like our character that kind of turn, changes to our destiny and all of these things that I was reading in Buddhism just really made a lot of sense. Sometimes in, in church, it was I, I couldn't follow what the priest was talking about or what I read in the Bible. I couldn't make too much sense of it. But when I read these these Buddhist sayings, they made a, a big impression on me. It just felt very clear, seemed clear. Ever since then, that was about 10 years ago, I've kind of passively just you know we'll listen to different podcasts related to buddhism or i like reading a lot of different new age type books like eckhart tolle or like recently michael singer i think is how his name is pronounced um and i, I like reading about those different perspectives so i've always 
been interested in um, spirituality, you could say, I guess. And so then I was uh, looking for a job that I could do online. And then someone introduced this job to me working with a Buddhist company making videos and websites. And so now it's for the last, since I've started, I've been fully immersed in it. And so as part of my training for work, there was a, what's called a thrice yearning ceremony and Chinese ancestral remembrance ceremony. And as well as um, one of the monks in the company I worked for led it two weeks of classes and so as sort of part of my training and to do some filming I went to this uh, retreat it was about totally two and a half weeks that I was there in uh, in Fuzhou Fujian and so that's that's kind of how the experience of the the thrice yearning ceremony the ancestral remembrance and the classes on Buddhism happened Cool. Um, so, uh, what yeah. were the um, what did you take away from from the experience from the the thrice yearning yeah. ceremony? So it, it was the entire event was very solemn. The ancestral remembrance and the thrice yearning ceremony. Everyone that came to the event was wearing the black high ching robes, which is a, an ancient Chinese robe that was worn in ancient China, and the events they lasted all day. For from morning at about eight o'clock to evening at eight o'clock p.m. and there there was a lot of chanting during the ceremony at the beginning of the thrice yearning ceremony there they had an MC who she would welcome the spirits of from the other realms to come to the join the thrice yearning ceremony um, and then in, during the thrice yearning ceremony, the Dharma, which in Buddhism, Dharma is like the law, and the Dharma teachings are shared with the, the spirits. The spirits can listen. And so that is that was the, the thrice yearning ceremony. And then there's also a lot of chanting of the, the Buddha's name, Amitabha Buddha in Mandarin, Amitofo. And then there people during the ceremony they will pray for uh, world peace and repent for things that they've done in the past to hurt, that have hurt other people or things that they've done in past lives. In Buddhism, the, the main, some of the main afflictions are anger and greed that people try to work work through. And so during the ceremony, that's what is happening. And then people make vows as well to be reborn and the, the buddhism that my company is is pure land buddhism um and so the, the pure land is uh in my understanding a place of where one can be reborn because in Bo buddhism believes in the idea of rebirth based on karma we are born into different rebirths and then we've also had previous births and so in in Buddhism, if one can be reborn in the Pure Land, one can easily get to enlightenment from the Pure Land, which is, in my understanding, sort of the goal of Buddhism, to become enlightened and uh, get out of the cycles of birth and death. And so that, that was the thrice-earning ceremony. And then in the, the ancestral remembrance ceremony, I had never really known why Chinese... Um, 
paid so much respect to ancestors. As a kid, I didn't really know a lot about China. I'd seen the movie Mulan, the Disney movie, <laughs> and so they, you know, they talk a lot about ancestors and. You know, to me, it was kind of like, okay, so do you worship ancestors? What's going on? But actually, it's more of uh, like paying respect to ancestors and honoring parents and elders and people who have gone before you. It's more about honoring them. One of the main aspects of the Chinese ancestral remembrance ceremony is love and respect and fostering love and respect for one's elders, as well as brothers and sisters, and in, in doing so, it spreads out to others. So in psychology, a lot of the pro people's problems stem from the family. And so in my mind, the ancestral remembrance ceremony, by paying special attention to the family, it's, uh, it's sort of a way of becoming good oneself. That goodness radiates outwards and helps other people. Uh, around you as well sort of the we need to help ourselves before we can help others mentality and so that was the ancestral remembrance ceremony and that was four days for the next two weeks it was classes on buddhism that was a, one of the books that we studied was called the response on the treatise of the tao which is a taoist book but the teachings are they're the same as buddhas and so that that's also studied in um, pure land Buddhism. And so that, that was one thing that really impressed me was that, um, that they would take another, like another religion's book and study it. Um, that, that just impressed me that they would take that other religion's book and study it in their own religion. I thought that's very cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it seems like they're quite some crossovers between Buddhism and Taoism. There are quite a few people here that tend to consider them kind of both in a way. Um, yeah. I also don't quite understand because generally in Western religion, it's quite like you have a very structured identity. Black and white. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a little bit more fluid. Um, which brings me to the next question. And this might be kind of a tricky one to answer. Um, but as religion is so deeply rooted in history and culture, um, do you think that Westerners, like yourself, um, can really grasp the true essence of Buddhism? Uh, and the reason I ask this question is just because I, as a Westerner, have often seen in China this emergence of Christianity, mm. um, which has been really interesting. And... Speaking to those practicing Christians in China, I get the feeling that they don't really quite understand what the religion yeah, is yeah. about. Mm. Have you had a similar experience? Well, um, I have. Uh, actually, it's from conversations with you okay. um, that I've gotten that impression because I haven't really come across very many practicing practicing Christians here. Uh huh. Because going to the church, there's actually quite a large church here in Shenzhen. Um, and going to their sermons and the Christmas uh, Christmas Eve mm. mass, I found that it's it's so Chinese. It's still like Chinese <laughs> philosophy, but just like packaged in right. a, with like a Christian wrapping. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't I don't feel that they believe in the same way as what, for example, what my parents believe yeah. back home in the U.S. Yeah, that uh, that passing on of the religion to different um, countries.
countries or different generations, it seems like it, it can get a little changed. I think that um, um, if you approach a totally different religion from a different the, the other end of the globe with a Western mind and all the experiences that you've had on the other side of the planet, I think it's it's really interesting to see like what you actually take out of it versus what those people who are born into it take out of it. Um, I wonder, because you as a person have been drawn to kind of the exotic and the outside world, I wonder if this is kind of a natural progression of those things, like it sparked your interest because it was something new and a new way of thinking, and I wonder if that's also why a lot of Chinese people are latching on to Christianity mm, as well, yeah. it's just kind of this discovery of like the other. Right. Yeah, I I think so. Right, kind of the other, kind of not maybe not feeling satisfied with what we're born into and wanting. Yeah, yeah, which is like the exact opposite of the Taoist the other. <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> right, it's really right, fascinating. Right. I haven't met anybody um, that uh, has done this kind of intensive like. I don't know what a, you said you work for a Buddhist company. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, w- yes. So it's, I, I help, uh, it's a, a non, non-profit organization and they have some different websites and videos, like videos on YouTube of different talks. So I help that a, a lot of the talks are all in, Mandarin, and the audience is mainly in China, and Taiwan, Singapore, Malaysia, and so I am helping them to get, you know, more exposure to foreigners, people who's, who don't speak Chinese, and so they, it's, it's a company, um, like any other, uh, I, guess, I guess it's kind of hard to define, I, I'm still learning myself, but yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, uh, so, oh, so, are you working for this? Um, um, it's a non-profit, but it's non-profit. Um, so, you, I know you started off like in Zhongshan when you came here first. So, wh- yeah. where are you now? Um, uh, I'm in Taiwan now. Um, did you? And did and you go? Have you been to other places before you ended it up in Taiwan? Yes. Yes. I was. Uh, I was in Zhongshan for three years, and then teaching English at the university there, and then uh, a friend and I, we opened an English school, like an English training center mm-hmm. in Jiangmen, China, which is right next to Zhongshan, but a little bit less developed, a little more, like a little more rustic, you could say, like really, really good for the an, entrepren- an entrepreneur, because um, it's just kind of emerging city in China, and then I was in uh, Zhejiang province at an international company there. I worked as a translator and interpreter for a few years, and then I moved back to the U.S. for several years, and then recently came to Taiwan. Very cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so would you recommend yeah. that other people take a similar path that you took um, to China, or... or well, maybe I'll, I should ask the question in a different way. Like, how would you have done things mm. differently if you would have? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that it depends on the, the person. If, if someone doesn't have, has never been to China before, um, then I think, uh, and maybe also, too, they don't have a lot of work experience. Um, if we're talking about someone who 
wants to potentially work and travel in China. Uh, I think, yeah, teaching English is a very good route still, and I would recommend it. I think going through a placement agency is probably a good idea because that's a, a one way where schools can be vetted. Um, the different schools in China, or if a person has more experience, uh, more work experience, maybe maybe they worked as like a programmer or something in their home country, and they want to do that in China. Um, or maybe if someone has already been to China and they already speak some Chinese, like someone who has studied abroad, maybe in China, and then you know they speak Chinese, and maybe they did an internship in. Uh, like Shanghai or something, I, like someone like that, I would say, you know, maybe try to find like a different type of work,、uh, a non-teaching job, maybe. But yeah, that's my take. Uh, just, uh, just a random question. Did did you study Chinese before you came to China? No,、okay. I studied maybe a couple classes, but not really. Okay, cool. Um, so、yeah. what um what are your plans for the future then? I know you've you've only been at this company for a few months. Do you intend to stay? Uh, in Taiwan、yeah. for the you know for the foreseeable future, or do you have plans to go elsewhere? No, I plan to stay in Taiwan for the foreseeable future. Oh, great, cool, very cool. Can you leave our、um, listeners with a bit of advice about life in China or in Taiwan? Sure. So,、uh, I think that、uh, when coming to、um, either China or Taiwan, it's important to have a, a open mindset and. Be very patient. Be able to go with the flow. A lot of things may come up, and、um, the the things that happen may be very different than in your home country.、Uh, maybe in your home country, like in the U.S., where I was from, everything is relatively easy and convenient. It's easy to get around.、Uh, you can just go to the store, go to Target, and buy whatever you need. But in China, it's a little bit, or Taiwan even too, it's a little bit. Um, you have to be a little more flexible. Things are not exactly the same, and so I would say to be flexible and patient. And another big piece of advice is to learn Chinese. I think that that is the easiest, one of the best ways to enrich one's life while living in、um, Taiwan or China. And so I think that there are a lot of different tools out there online.、Um, Like different dictionaries or different study tools, use use those. And one book I really enjoyed reading was Wild Swans, which is、uh, kind of sort of a personal account of the last hundred years of history in China. Yeah, that's what I would say. Very cool. Yeah, yeah and that's something that our listeners out there who are even just thinking about China can get、mm-hmm. started with while they are still in their home countries.、Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah.、Uh, so on that on that note, would you、um, be able to give our listeners、um, a Chinese word, please? Sure. Amitabha, which means、uh, Amitabha, Amitabha Buddha, and a lot of、uh, Pure Land Buddhists they say Amitabha to greet people. It's sort of like blessings. Something I, I liken it to to that, like blessings, hello, like. Sort of like Namaste, maybe in、uh, in India. At least that's my understanding. So Amitabha. Oh, great, cool, like it. <laughs> awesome.、Yeah. Well, thanks for coming yeah, on the show, Mick, and for sharing your experiences. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? 
Sure, my pleasure. Um, thank you, guys. It's uh, it's been good. Um, they can I've uh, they can go to chinalifefiles.com or also check out Facebook Ultimate China Guide or send me an email at nick at chinalifefiles.com. Very cool. Right. And Holly, I guess you'll link those in the show notes I will as do. well. If Everything will be there. Awesome. Yep. All right, great. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thank you, Nora and Holly. Good talking to you. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. You're welcome. Bye. So there you have it. Mm-hmm. Hope you learned a little bit more about Buddhism. I did. Yeah, me too. Well, before we go, we just want to say um, if uh, you're interested in anything we've talked about, you can go to writtenchinese.com slash episode 102. Um, for all our show notes and links, um, we'll we'll link over to, to Nick's uh, site and uh, stuff like that, things he mentioned in the um, interview. And um, I mentioned at the beginning about our new video series. If you want to check that out, if you haven't seen it already, um, it's on our uh, it's on writtenchinese.com. You can, if you search for the first one is chicken feet, <laughs> so Ooh. if you want to check that one out, there's a video. And then we also have some like words, chicken feet e words <laughs> for you to study. Um, and as always, we just want to say uh, thank you to Written Chinese for sponsoring sponsoring us. <laughs> Indeed. And also, this was really fun. So if any of you out there um, have some wild and wonderful experiences in China, Mm -hmm. it would be cool to do more more guest um, interviews like this. So let us know what you've been up to and whether or not you want to be on the show. Yeah, and if you want to get in touch with us, so you can find us on Facebook at 2iChicks. That's 2 spelled T-W-O. Um, or you can you can even you can even as a little leave us a voicemail message. <laughs> l- l- leave uh, us a voicemail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's at writtenchinese.com slash voicemail. Yeah. Or send us an email at support at writtenchinese.com. It's yeah. just Holly and I behind the scenes there, so <laughs> You're gonna get one You're of us. Get us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll hope you join us next week. Bye. Bye.